Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. You're with me, Johnny Burrow and Dave Seeger and Chris Howard of Gunnerstown. Gents, when you look back on a game and you just look at the stats, you go stat heavy, you go 71% possession. Great. 20 shots. Fantastic. Eight of those on target. Must have been a big win, mustn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's the... I can't. I, can't, I don't even know where to start. Uh, we were talking about this beforehand. I am running out of energy with Arsenal. Um, I was driving back from my parents um, this afternoon and I just said to my wife, I can't wait for the season to be over now. This has just turned into a horrendous grind. It's, like, it's a slow death of a thousand cuts by watching this football team lurch from one poor performance to the next. And... Even wedged in between the last time that we were on, we've still beaten Valencia 3-1 and put in a good performance. It's just... <sighs> Dave, help it's me out. Hard. It's hard. It's just so hard. I mean, although the thing about football, as I always say, and I tweet it quite often, is you know the, the joy of football is there's always a next game. There's always a next season. And, and to say we all want the season to end, but within a month we'll be getting excited about who we're signing and thinking about the next season. But I, I don't know if you saw, either of you saw this last night, but this is how... I was feeling last night at the end of Line of Duty. This, okay. this is a great Very analogy. tense. Right, okay. Arsenal 2018 and 19 and Line of Duty. Kept me hooked. Some twists in the plot. A few exciting moments, but ultimately fizzled out with a poor ending that was a bit meh. And of course, despite the disappointment, I will be eagerly anticipating the next season. <laughs> but that is it, isn't it? There you That's go. You say. Thank you, I'm here all night. <laughs> but we always do anticipate the next season. Are you, are you two already at that point? Because as you were saying, there was that positive of a very good win against Valencia. Is there not a part of you that goes, you know what, Europa League, it's alive. Champions League, whilst not in the Premier League terms, could still be qualified for through that Europa League clash. Of course you'll be excited on Thursday evening, Chris. Stop it. I'll be terrified. Just because you've got a flat cap on in I'll the studio. I'll be terrified. <laughs> I'm rolling back the years. I'll be terrified on Thursday. If we get through to the final, obviously it's something to look forward to. But it really is papering over the cracks of what is a lot of problems at Arsenal at the moment, let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, no. you've got an owner that just it disappears off into the distance in America somewhere. He's got no real interest in the advancement or betterment of the club. And I'm really not sure about the people that are actually running the operational side of the business either. It's just, it all seems a complete mess. We have stories of ridiculously paltry uh, transfer kitties. You know, this is season ticket renewal time. Do we not even get at least one war chest story? They're not even doing that anymore. They're just given up. I thought Ornstein said 100 million. I mean, other people are saying 40 million. but 40 million pound? Well, we know our co-host here, Charlie's convinced we're going to spend a lot of money. For one of the richest clubs that's constantly in the Deloitte top 10 and they're they're pleading poverty. I mean, it's just farcical. But as you say, it's it's not a case of whether we've got the money. It's It's a case of trusting... You know, whether we trust the people who are going to make decisions about who we buy. And and whilst you can bemoan a lot of players, um, a lot of the motivation of the players, a lot of the balls, cojones, whatever the players, if you look at the five signings that Emery made, personally, I like Leno, I like Socrates, I like Torreira, 
Lichsteiner, meh. <laughs> he can, uh, he can get so Gwen far. Doozy, <laughs> I, uh, Gwen Doozy, I think, has got a lot of talent. So, you know, you've got four out of five signings he's made who you're, I think most Arsenal fans are happy with. Yeah. The players that we're bemoaning, really, week in, week out, or as or, or at least divide the fan base, are more Ozil, Shaka, yeah. Mustafi, you know, none of the players that were brought in they by can, the current regime. They can all get in the bin, and then we take the bin and throw the bin in the sea. <laughs> oh, by the way, and when we're throwing it in the sea, it's on fire. Hang on. It, we've done a lot of work <laughs> I did, mate, that was my other tweet last night about a fire sale at Drayton yeah. Park. We've done, we've done a lot of work for pollution in this country <laughs> over the last couple of weeks, and here you are advocating bins in the sea. Don't do that. Interesting your point, Dave, about those Emery signings being impressive. I think you're absolutely spot on. With that, would you now like to see the club go, you know what, Unai, not been the perfect year, but the signs are there that you're getting it right in the transfer market. Here's a bigger fee. Go out and build your side. Is he getting it right, though? Or do we not just have Sven that who's now disappeared off into the sunset as well? And that's, I guess, even more worrying. Because if it is the transfer team, of which a big part of the transfer team has now been um, disbanded, is it not just more... It's just a bit more depressing to think that Unai... The one person we do 100% know was 100% an Unai Emery man was Denis Suarez. Mm. The lesser spotted Denis Suarez. That went very well, didn't Yeah, that it? went swimmingly. <sighs> Let's talk about uh, Game uh, of well, Thrones. Well, I think, uh, <laughs> I think the, the latest sort of media hype is that the Arsenal have decided they're going to buy British... Um, and Premier League-ready British appeals to me right now. Uh, if, you, if you take the core of the players you want to keep with the youngsters I know we're going to talk about and bring in three or four top players who are already playing in the Premier League, and I mean, I I, I think Nathan Aki is the... I've said this before. I think Nathan Aki is the perfect signing for Arsenal. So someone like a Nathan Aki... Is it because of the hair? Is the it because good. he scored a winner against Spurs at the well, weekend? That always helps. No, it's because he does score goals. Because he's you know he's two footed. Because you know he's good on the you know, he's good on the ball. He plays out defence, but he's also a very 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 good defender. And let's face it, he plays alongside Virgil Van Dijk for Holland. He can't be all bad. But I just think this idea of buying three or four good players, blending them with the ones we all do like and have been successful this season, and making some fairly stern decisions about the ones that we're not all happy with. Do you, do you know what I would say? I have, so I've been an Arsenal fan for 30 plus years, and I would say that in my entire life I've always had favourites, mm. and this season, and probably last season as well, it completely blew that concept out of the water. There is no player at Arsenal Football Club that I consider a favourite. I could I could quite happily see us just completely shuffle the entire deck and start again. Like none of them I'd be sad to see the back of. Not but even a Lacazette. I just I'm not attached to any of them. I don't I can't get attached to them. I think it's partially because of the the playing style. It's partially because of the decline which started well it started before last season I think. It was already happening the season before that when we won the FA Cup against Chelsea. You know, that was a gloss on a you know poor end into the season. Last season was a shambles. This season's been a bit of a shambles at times. And I've just lost the... There's, there's just some sort of spark within me that I've just lost watching Arsenal. There are, weirdly, some strong positives, actually, in that Arsenal's record against our top six rivals is probably twice as good as it's been for the last 10 years. Mm. I mean, literally under Wenger, the last seven or eight years, it has been awful. Not away from home, though. Well, yeah, but we weren't even beating them at home. 
No. You know, we, well, we, we've drawn a couple of, and we should have won at Spurs, shouldn't we, let's face it. Yeah. Uh, we drew at Chelsea, didn't we? So no, we, we lost at Chelsea. Did we? 3-2, yeah. Oh, okay. oh, right at the beginning of the season, first, yeah. like, second game. But no, we've, but we've beaten Man United at home, we've drawn with Man United away, okay, they're not the team they used to be, but, you know, we've beaten and drawn with Tottenham. Yeah, so drew at home to Liverpool. Drew at home to Liverpool, could have won that game, probably should have won that game. So, yeah, there are positives there. There are definitely positives in the way we've played away in Europe. The, the, the downside is... He's almost like the too much. It's too much tinkering, isn't it? Yeah. He's changed not only changing personnel, which I don't mind because I think you know under Wenger we didn't rotate enough, and I think I think I probably was wrong. But I thought two or three weeks ago our players were looking fresh for the fact they'd been rotated. They suddenly don't look fresh at all. So I obviously got that completely wrong. But but he also he's he's just changing the formation too much. He seemed to have settled on a formation, and we we got this form back. We were playing this three four one two or three four two one home and away, and we knew it for about six weeks. That was, and then suddenly he changed it again. But it's interesting with that because you're spot on. But Thanks. when he when he tinkers and he gets it right, we sit here and we all praise Unai Emery's glorious pragmatism. And then when it doesn't work, suddenly we go, "Hang on, Unai, Unai stop swapping it." There's got to be a balance between the yeah, two. Yeah, you're talking more about substitutions, though. No, I'm not. I'm no. talking about the, the setup of the formations before games. Like when he went off the wall ahead of United and we beat United, we all thought that was a great decision. Mm. So sometimes he's getting it right, sometimes not so perfect. And this is, I guess this is where people and their agendas, one way or another, post Arsene Wenger reign, are coming to the fore. You seem to find there's lots of people who were very, very pro-Wenger that are now trying to find fault in everything Emery does. When he does something right... Shock horror. Or when he does something he does something wrong, you know, they'll they'll find fault in it. And But then there's people the other end that wanted Wenger gone, you know, years beforehand. It almost became like a um, a, a, a status mark, a status symbol. How, how long ago did you want Wenger gone? Blah, 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 blah. But those people are now almost saying, well, come on, look at the absolute rabble that um, Wenger left behind. I think there's a little bit of both and I think we actually should be we should take for every good performance we should also look at the the, the poor performances and judge overall by the season and I'm now looking back at this season and thinking we haven't really done much. No, you're spot on and we do have one fairly disappointing performance to get our teeth into. Coming up we'll be getting deep into Arsenal 1, Brighton 1. Why couldn't we get that breakthrough? This is Love Sport. It's the Arsenal Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio with me, Johnny Burrow and Dave Seeger and Chris Howard of Gunnerstown. Why couldn't Arsenal get that breakthrough against Brighton? They were knocking on the door, the woodwork rattled in the first couple of minutes and yet the game finished a draw. Because they have the mental strength of a bowl of jelly. Lime jelly as well, green, Why lime? lime jelly. It just looks a bit weird, doesn't it? And we look like a weird team at the moment, completely lopsided, um, ugly, and I hate jelly as well. <laughs> Beat that, Dave. Well, well no, to be, to be fair, it really, really was one of those days where it, it's about the mentality of the players, you're right, but it, it's so fragile that when we went 1-0 up, had we then taken one of the two or three chances we created in, in, in the first half and it had been 2-0, we then would have gone on 1-5. and five. That, is, that is the fragile state, the mentality. That's the thing we've got to question because that could have been 5-0 to Arsenal, but it ended up one all, And that's the concern. If you're Emery, you, you must be scratching your head thinking, what, what is it that, that if they don't get the breakthrough or the second breakthrough, suddenly something 
flicks in their mindset that they're suddenly panicking. Some of the defending are was Keystone cops. Slapstick, I mean, wasn't even it? Monreal. Who, yeah, the one thing you put your house on Monreal has been the you know sure-footed defender. He literally air kicked in the penalty area. I mean, it's like it was literally pinball wizard at one point. There was a, there was one thirty-second sort of passage of play where Burnt Leno sort of miskicked the ball. Straight to, I think it's the Glenn one that Murray. ends. Yeah, with went Glenn straight Murray's to Murray. Yeah. yeah. Oh my word. And, and there was that thirty or forty seconds. It's actually funny. Like, well, I, I can't even say, be angry anymore. You've got these Arsenal defenders like putting their arms out and just sort of shuffling like crabs side to side. It's just hilarious. <laughs> Someone on Twitter clipped that particular passage. Not as table football, not pinball. <laughs> <laughs> and they just put the Benny Hill music over the top, <laughs> and it fitted. Perfectly, really concerning stuff. Obviously, you're both singling out the defence for criticism, but more broadly, are there specific players in this Arsenal squad who you would want to single out for psychological weakness? Mesut Özil, Easy one. Mesut Özil. You could say, yeah, I'll say it right now. Mesut Özil, Mkhitaryan, Mkhitaryan. A lot of people are obviously chastising, rightly, Xhaka, because he was a complete moron for what he did by even just giving Anthony Taylor the opportunity to to call for that penalty where he's just touched um, I don't know who Solly it was March. Solly March's uh, shoulder and gone down you just don't he do stole it. a March there's on him just, very good <laughs> um, he um, there was stupidity on Jacker's part but if you watch that build up like Henrik Mkhitaryan picks up the ball and he's driving towards goal and he can't even put a five yard pass to the I think it was Lichsteiner overlapping he puts this pathetic sort of half pass no, to the outside of his and then you think to yourself you, you, you earn £200,000 a week. But on that, what has happened with Mkhitaryan? Because there was a spell in the season where actually he looked really impressive and we were all saying, hang on, Henrik might have come to the party and he seems to have just left again. He, that's not Henrik Mkhitaryan. He that didn't like the, the jelly of... at the party. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he said, is this lime? Is no, this lime? <laughs> Get out. Get out. It just looks weird. Yeah. <laughs> Bring me some ice cream. He's no actually lime. done a job for the team a few times when he's dropped into right back, you know, to be fair. I, I think he's a player that every single Arsenal fan wanted to succeed. Mm. But without the and I'm me particularly and Charlie was not here today but Charlie you know has the connections at the training ground and all that and he actually said to us didn't he that, that Wenger said to someone he knows Rolls Royce Rolls Royce of a footballer when you sign Mkhitaryan you know you're so chuffed do you think and, Wenger and, and really what, wanted him because oh, it was that weird little no, swap no. deal well he did because he went for him before he went to Man United so he definitely wanted him I, I just I think he's I think he's fallen victim he's a confidence player. And I think if you look at that season at Dortmund, he played at exactly the same position week in, week out for the whole season. He played on the right of a 4-2-3-1. He was never, ever played in another position. You, know, had, you had Shinji Kagawa in the centre. You had Royce on the other side if he wasn't injured. But he always knew where he was playing. And I think the problem with Mkhitaryan is he's been, you know, he's in the centre of midfield. He's on the right of midfield. He's playing as a one, you know, the 10 behind the striker. He's had... And, and sometimes he's on the left and sometimes he's been asked to fill in at right wing back or right back. I just think he needs six or seven games playing in exactly his position in the four two three one. And if that's not going to be the case, then he has to go. Given how successful that Dortmund side were and given how good they were to watch and Arsenal have not just Mkhitaryan but Aubameyang as well, mm. who were the attacking pair who really stood out alongside Kagawa. Would there be a case for Emery just going, you know what? Let's try that. Let's watch what they did and just, at least for those two players, try them playing together in the roles they were operating in for Dortmund just to see if he can replicate. Where would, no. he, put, where would he put Lacazette? He's just better than Aubameyang. No, because uh, that isn't Henrik Mkhitaryan. It's the ghost of Henrik Mkhitaryan <laughs> that plays on that f- plays for Arsenal at the moment. He is. Uh, he's. N- I don't believe he'll ever recover 
the form that was at Dortmund. I've said it a few times this season already. Jose broke him and you, he's, it, it's irreparable. And with the sort of money that he's on as well, I think we need to cut our losses. Yeah. Just get rid. He will still. He He's, what, 31? There is still a transfer fee for Mkhitaryan, you know. Not, uh, you not know a what? lot, maybe 10 or 15 million, but we can still get is money. Is there, though? Because clubs are going to say, we can't afford to pay 200 grand a week. So just get rid of him. Nothing. Just say, you take take all the wages off. Just just get it gone. Let's get him out the door. China? Maybe. Yeah. there's a there, we're at the, we're, I'm at the point, personally, I'm sure Chris is the same, where I'm just, I'm sort of pining for Project Youth. I really think, and I know we're coming on to it, but I think we need we need to keep the core, you know, the best that we've got that we would all play week in week out. You know, your Hector Bellerins, your Rob Holdings, it, Lucas Torreras, your Alexander Lacassettes, your Burnt Lenos. There's your five, and then let's buy three or four top top players, and then just blend some of our exciting talent in. Because if we'd been in the Europa League two years, what the hell if we're in the Europa League, Europa League another year? I just think we just want to see attacking, flowing football. We want to see Saka running down the Let's wing. Let's have a plan, yeah. please. With that, Dave, with the willingness to do another year, perhaps another two years in the Europa League, do you think there's a point here where Arsenal fans have to lower their expectations? Look at the United example of what happened to them when one dynasty en- ended yeah. and say, you know what, this is going to be tough. Liverpool, similarly, out of the Champions League for a few seasons, look where they are now. Is it a case of going, we can't expect short-term brilliant, give him time, Give him backing and see what you can build. I think the problem we are say we're facing is it, our period is coinciding with the other lot in Middlesex having a very good period. That's the mm. problem for Arsenal fans. I think if Tottenham were below us in eighth or ninth, and we were finishing five or fifth or sixth, I don't think we'd have as much angst as we've got now. To be honest, it's because th- they're doing better. I think we would because yeah. I, I, I kind of get your point. But my view is that I just think that we've seen such a steep decline so quickly with Arsenal that that's what sent people into... And because of the social media age that we live in, it sends people into, you know, hate tweeting and rage tweeting and it just sets more people off. I spend, you know... Um, so after the game yesterday, I got I was grumpy for about 15 minutes and then I took my phone upstairs. How did they want to know the difference? Uh, how did, I am a happy person <laughs> in every other aspect of my life, David. Um... I took my phone upstairs and I just put it on my bed on my parents' bedside table and then just left it and went and just spent some time with family and totally I just forgot about football and that is it's a lot uh, easier when you don't go so, at the game though. I mean, yeah. you're not, you would normally be at the game. Yeah, yeah, harder exactly. to do when you're at the game. Yeah, that's very true because then you're obviously you're heading home as well, so you're you're working yourself up a bit more. But I just think that that environment um, causes people to get more frustrated and you end up working yourself up a bit more because there's other people that get just as worked up as you but they're online with social media so yeah well we're all very worked up we were worked (laughs) up last week we're worked up this week and i'm afraid we're going to get worked up a bit more because coming up it's time to discuss who should stay who is that spine that dave seager was talking about and who can get in the bin this is love sport the Arsenal Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio and Chris Howard of Gunnerstown has just turned to Dave Seeger and myself, Johnny Burrow, and said that should have been an absolute slam dunk yesterday. Brighton, he said very politely, aren't a very good football club. Yeah, you're paraphrasing. <laughs> With that in mind, Arsenal did struggle. It wasn't a good performance. Yeah. And the fans' desire to see change, certainly on the pitch in terms of the playing staff, is only growing stronger. So I'm going to have to ask again, who stays 
Who goes? Lishteiner, gone. Jenkinson, gone. Mustafi, gone. Koscielny, because his legs don't work, gone. Um, I'd probably... I think saying Sogradis is probably a harsh one because he's only been there a year. But, to be honest with you, I see that defence and just think, gone, go. But, it, but if you take him Steve out Bold, of that defence, does it not get worse? Steve Bold should be gone just for wearing shorts in winter. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't pull it off like a... He can't sack every postman in the country, Johnny. No, exactly. <laughs> um, Nacho Monreal looks like he's just gone. dropped a level, so you'd say him. Uh, Kalasnic can only play as a wing back. He can't really play as a, as a full back. So, you know, we, we need more versatility. Summer transfer business will tell us what Emery's chosen formation for the yeah. start of the season is. Because if Collar stays, yeah. I think you're right. I think we're going to play three at the back. I think Gendozi can stay, but I think he should be three or four players down the pecking list. He should be. This season should have seen him having 10, 15 games. He's ended up with about 30, 35 matches. It's ridiculous. Torreira has been a good signing. Granite Xhaka, do you know what? He's made the mistake yesterday. I've always stuck up for him, but I just think he's he's he, he's just really declined recently. And we can't have players performing it's like two, he has. There's two reasons why Granite Xhaka should go. One is Sell on if after Bali. three years he's still dividing the whole Arsenal fan base, he can't be good enough. Still making silly 50% mistakes. 50% of the people can't be wrong, completely wrong. Yeah. Um, He's definitely a player that can set the tempo when things are going well. When things are going badly, he might shake his fist a bit, but he's not hes not someone you want in, your tre- in the trenches, I don't think. And I think the other reason is because we can probably still get £25, £30 million. Pounds. He is someone who would have a big market in Germany still. He was very good there. It's a slightly slower-paced league. Or even in Italy, he, he, he would command a big fee. Mm. But this is the thing, with me saying earlier, like I don't have favourites, I'll quite happily see Xhaka gone. I'd see Sogradi's gone as well, to be honest with you. I know it's... I, I don't, I'm not saying... Well, maybe I am saying they should all. I'm just fed up, and I just, I just think, unless they are somebody that I've just thought, wow, you had a good season. Like I've actually yeah. thought that about Torreira, even though he's dipped. You Do know, you not feel that about Lacazette? I don't want to sell Lacazette. No, because we've heard rumours this week. Our producer Laurie was pointing out that we're hearing slowly intensifying murmurs that Barca could be interested in him. 70-odd million quid, long-term replacement for Suarez. If Barca were to come in and go, Lacazette, one of your best players this year, 70 million, would you keep him? Yeah, I think I would because the only two the only two quality players that we've got that have scored about 90% of our goals are Lacazette and Aubameyang. If you take one of those out, you've got to replace them. We've already got to replace Ramsey. Oh, and, yeah. and you've got Henrik Mkhitaryan and Meza... Not Meza... Um, I was going to drop a swear word there, but I'm not going to. Mesut's not a um, swear word yet, but for some people. <laughs> but, but Mkhitaryan and Iwobi have contributed something like seven goals and eight assists between them Iwobi, all season. Iwobi, as far as I'm concerned, is at the first in the pen. He's oh. the bottom of the pen. He just, he just I, I had pick a convers- up the ball, dribble a little bit, I had a conversation. drop it to the keeper's arms, put it yeah. out of play. I you had know. a conversation with Giles early in the week, I don't know if you saw it on social media, where he was saying, I think he asked the question, you know, would you sell Lacassette? And I I don't want to sell Alexander Lacazette. He's probably, as you say, I don't know, favourite players. You know, it's particularly now that Danny's leaving. Mm. Crikey, mortified. Um, but Lacazette is about as close to a favourite player as I would have. Uh, but if it is £70 million to Barcelona, I think you could buy Luis Saha and Ryan Fraser for that. 
And if that's the if if Louis Zaha can because then if you if you play a Bamiyang where he should be playing, do you mean Wilfred Zaha? Because Louis Zaha, Louis, Will, sorry Wilfred Zaha, <laughs> he could come in say, and do a job. I tell yeah. you what, maybe maybe yeah. Louis Zaha. Well, he's, he's, he's certainly yeah. the movements. No, no, but Wilfred Zaha can play through the middle in a two, or he can play wide in a three four two three one. Bamiyang needs to play up front in a four two three one. We know yeah. that yeah. he's not. Everyone says, "Oh, play two, play two. Yes, we've had a couple of good results when we played Lacazette and Bamiyang up front together. They aren't a partnership, though. Mm. They're not, they know they get on well, but you don't see that interplay. You don't see that knockdown. You don't see that little flick to each other. There have been very few goals where have been as a result of combination of them as two strikers. Mm. So I think I would, if the question Johnny's asking is, if we got 70 million and we could buy two good players, yes, I probably would do that business because we need to rebuild. That's not to say I want to sell him. I don't. Yeah, no, I'm the same. And this, do you know what really worries me? As Arsenal fans, the first thought in our mind, because this is the way we've been conditioned by the club, is, oh, would you sell this player? It's not, no, because he's one of our best players. It's, well, you know, we don't have a lot of money, so maybe we need to take the money where we've got it. I mean, that's not that's not how a big club should be thinking or operating, and that's how we've been conditioned as fans, yeah. and it's really frustrating. We shouldn't be selling Lacazette. Well, we shouldn't be selling Aubameyang. What we should be that, doing but is... Liverpool have done what they've done because they sold Philip Coutinho. Not because they just rustled up money out of nowhere because they're a big club. They had 130 million in for one player and bought three great players. I mean, yeah, but <laughs> it does work like that. They seem to, I mean, somebody seems to pull the wall over Barcelona's eyes there. So I've just got to say, fair play to Liverpool. I don't believe that we've got, I don't believe we'd get anywhere near that sort of decent. It feels like there needs to be some sort of player that is that 100, 120 million pound type that we could get for a ridiculous fee. You know, if someone's coming along from China and saying Lacazette, 100 million or something like that, and of course you'd say, all right, well, this is a different story because you can buy a few players there. But my worry is more, not that we get, my worry is we get 70 million quid and we've got the guys that are actually making the transfer purchases. It's uh, Sanyehi in his little black book. He just goes out and buys... Banega and uh, and Zonzi just goes goes and finds journeymen that um, that that fit Unai Emery's mould. Well, what do and you feel? What do you feel about Louis, Brian Fraser then? I Sing think he's a decent them. player. He looks like a decent player. Against um, I watched the game against Tottenham and he's lumping a lot of balls. In, I mean, I think Bournemouth's tactics were just rubbish. He's got t- he's got Saturday, he's got fourteen but. assists and seven goals. Okay, which in itself is good. What's interesting is he's nine chances created ahead of the next player in the league. Hazard's on 16 chances created. Ryan Fraser's created 25 clear-cut chances in a team that is barely in the top half of the table. How old is he? He's about 26, 27. Mm. So this is a big contract for him. So if you're going to play 4-2-3-1, then having like Ryan Fraser and Wilfred Zaha and then having Reese Nelson and Saka, that sounds quite exciting to me. Yeah. I mean, for me, again, I go back to the Suarez signing and it just that's the thing that worries me more than anything else is that Emery's he's got he's got in through the door he's happily played the yeah let's have this transfer team part of the team's now being part of the band's been broken up so Emery's now having more control and if that is the sort of thing that we can expect from an Unai Emery influenced transfer team it worries me longer term We've talked a lot about the players you would want to kick out the door, but who are that spine who you would definitely want to stay? Leno, Bellerin, Rob Holding, Lucas Torreira, Guendouzi just because of age and so forth, and then the two strikers. Two strikers. No one else. No one. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying you Kl- kick Klazin- all the others Klazinak out. would depend on what he's going to do. I think it's yeah. it, it's it's a good idea to have Klazinak when he wants to play 
we you know with three at the back, he needs a new left back, no question. I'd keep Ainsley Maitland Niles definitely as well, by the yeah. way. Top yeah. player. I think there's probably if we've got twenty five a squad of twenty five, we could probably name it's, I think it's single figures that we'd name that we want to keep. And yeah. that is that's a damning. I mean certainly Mikatarian, Ozil, bye bye, Iwobi, Shaka. Yeah, I mean I'm happy for those four to go because we you know just it's not a case of it it's not even because we don't like them. You know, if we want to succeed, we have to have players who are going to do it week in, week out, and they are players that do it periodically. Mm. At home. Yeah. Ozil's just been abject. You know, literally three or four good games all season and the people will still defend him. We just we are I know what it is, you know, if we are a good side and playing well, Ozil will be the most assist in the league. We're not. We're an average side and we need someone who's we need the sort of 10 or the sort of playmaker who can turn around and say, the chips are down, I can turn this game around yeah. single-handedly. Mm. Can't in the way that In the way mm. that Santi did for us, in the way that Cesc did virtually weekly. You know, and I'm not saying, I'm not comparing them as the same type of player because they're not, you know, I'm not saying we, we shouldn't be playing with a passing 10. We should be playing with a running 10. I mean, I'd take Isco over, mm. you know, over Ozil all day. We need someone who's going to say, right, give me the ball, I'm going to make things happen. And Ozil can do that but he just isn't doing it very often. Mm. We're just structurally imbalanced and Ozil just isn't the right player for what Unai Emery is trying to do and you can you can question whether or not that's the right that's the right way but we have a team of players and they're not working. He didn't do it last season under Arsene Wenger, Chris. No. He he did it more often. It's two or three years since he had a stellar season. Yeah. It's time for serious change at the Emirates. Not all change, but most change. It's not quite the end of the line, but it's getting there too. But coming up, could the answer come from within? Which youth products, which current members of the under-23s, which lads out on loan could make a contribution to Unai Emery's first team? Don't go anywhere. This is Love Sport. Arsenal got a reputation, often from their past, for developing young players, for signing them young bringing them through and turning them into superstars. The club can, of course, also do that with products of their own academy. And we're repeatedly told, as Arsenal fans, that this current crop of youngsters are a bit special. With that in mind, who that you've seen on the fringes of the squad could step into the soon-to-be-empty shoes of some of these guys you want to throw in the bin, Chris? Um, I quite like Saka, you know. I think he's... To be fair, I've seen him once as a sub in one of the Europa League games for about 10, 15 minutes. But he got on the ball. He looked exciting, dynamic. He was happy to drive at, you know, first first team players. I can't remember who we'd play, what, which uh, Mickey Mouse Europa he, so, League team. So he made his played. debut. I was there for his debut, which was against Karabakh. Yeah. And my instinct watching him then was that he was too eager to express to impress rather which is fair enough because he's a kid he was doing that thing that young wingers do where they do 53 step overs where you probably need one or none and he would lose the ball but when he lost the ball he would immediately drive and go and get it back and I quite liked his attitude yeah yeah I mean he's probably a bit too raw um, and we've seen this quite a lot people people want to chuck players in and you know, they come on and they have a good cameo for 10, 15 minutes and everyone gets excited. And then they might get a chance, you know, a month or so later, they get, they'll they start a match and all of a sudden we don't see anything of them. And, 
you know, everyone's wondering well, what happened to that that dynamic player that got ten minutes. I think the people who do watch the the under twenty threes a lot are very excited by him though, and Amici as well, who's the other wide player. So you've got those two. You've got Reese Nelson, obviously, who started like a house on fire in Hoffenheim, but then sort of fell out of favour a bit. Hasn't been in the side as much. You know, the odd cameo as a sub. Interesting though, I think. I don't think everyone. I think everyone thinks Reese Nelson is a wide player because that's where they've seen him for Arsenal. I think he's actually sort of you know a running ten. He's more. He's of done a, that a bit. He's for the more twenty one. He's hasn't more he? of a central player. Yeah. So I bet. I bet. I bet. He's obviously a talented individual, and I know people who do watch it and they think he he can definitely make it. It's been disappointing that Smith Rowe has been injured for the first part of his loan in Leipzig, but I like the look of him. He did play a lot of football. Mm. He's obviously ahead of everyone else in Emery's eyes. Certainly ahead of Joe Willock, who only started getting game time once Smith Rowe had gone on loan. But then when we did see Joe Willock play, he scored, you know, two goals. He looked all right. He looked okay. But I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. This is always the problem though. These players come in and they look good and you start getting excited and then if they get a run of games they quickly yeah. sort of fall to one side. I mean even look at the way Iwobi burst onto the scene for his first, he played against Barcelona away, didn't he? And he was brilliant. And mm. he then had an end towards the end of that season. He had a run in the, the FA season. Cup at Sunderland. Yeah, and he end. looked really good. And then... But he was playing instead of Ozil declined. in the FA Cup. He was playing at 10. Um, yeah. I'd, yeah. I mean, I certainly, I think there are definitely players, and everyone's being very uh, full of praise for the way that Freddie Lundberg sort of turned that team around mm. um, as coach. I personally would like to see two or three of these players get get some good good game time. I, I think we've been. I think, I think Eddie Nketi has been very unlucky um, with Welbeck's injury because I think if Welbeck hadn't got injured, he would have had a January to May loan, played a lot of football, and we'd know a lot more about Eddie than we do now. And unfortunately, because of Welbeck's injury, we, we, he wasn't allowed to go on loan because we couldn't afford to buy anyone. Yeah. <laughs> so so he hasn't had a lot of game time. I think I like the look of... I mean, certainly when he came on, was it away at Wolves for the last 20 minutes, he yeah. looked very, very lively. He certainly... He, 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 he's very direct. He's very pacey. He, again, like Saka in the, the away games in Europe when he's come on, he's been a bit too over-enthusiastic. But, you know, I think there's a lot about him. Without wanting but, to sound too simplistic, some of the hardest things to do in professional football is scoring. And so yeah. that's why a centre-forward is almost probably the hardest position to break through. You know, yeah. you can come in as a as a wide forward, as a, as a wing-back, as a maybe even a, a central midfielder and you can you have more um, opportunity to succeed I think centre forward is really tough and we've got two really quality centre forwards which is why he hasn't been given a chance I I just don't see he's going to make it I can't see I haven't seen that kind of um, poacher that instinct from him um, you know, he came in and got two goals last season against Norwich in the in the League Cup. Brilliant. And we're all thinking, oh, hello, have we got Poacher here? You know, have we got somebody that can finish? But he's had a few chances. I watched, I was at the Blackpool game and he had a few, you know, yeah. half opportunities. And I that was the game that made me think I'm worried that yeah. he may not be able to make it because he, he doesn't have that killer instinct. So pl- the, the play... The- the part of the team where we can give players a chance, though, is in the attacking third. Mm. So I think it is the Nelsons, the Sackers, the... I don't think we need to... With the exception of possibly having a look at Christian Biliak, who's had a great you know, loan season, both at Birmingham and Charlton. I, don't, I think we've got two younger defenders in Bellerin and Holding. I think we need to buy an experienced left-back and an experienced centre-back. But I do think in the first-team squad there is definitely a place for three or four of the attacking midfield or winger players that we've got, definitely. I think we have to, because... 
we if we if it's true what we're being told that we there are so many players where there are question marks and if they do uh, do quite a lot of um, recycling of, of our squad then we're going to have to promote because we haven't got the money for five or six or ten signings. So with Reese Nelson specifically, as you said, Dave, started electrically in the Bundesliga, has dropped off, but equally he's been playing a lot of top division football. How close would he be to the first team upon his return? Would you slip him straight into that eleven? Would he be on the bench? How, how would he be? Definitely, definitely a squad player, yeah. I mean, he wouldn't be in the first team. He can't team. be any worse than Mkhitaryan or Iwobi at the moment. No. Even if he's making... 50% of what he does is good and 50% of what he does is bad. That's still a, a massive uplift on what we're getting from Mick, certainly Mkhitaryan at the moment. Mkhitaryan's providing practically nothing. So we might as well... It, it's the ghost of Mkhitaryan. We might as well get someone like Reese Nelson in because, like I say, if he if he gets 50, 50% of what he does right, he'll be onto a winner compared to the joke that we've got at the moment. Oh, and I think, I think, I think Emery's spoken very highly of him, so I think he's definitely in his in his mind for the start of next season. But we always we always get excited in pre-season. We go on a tour, we see all these kids play brilliantly, like Chuck Zaniki and Tuba Akpon, all these brilliant players we've had over the years. And Tuba Akpon, by the way, just won the title in Turkey, didn't he? So, mm. Was it Greece or Turkey? Greece, Greece yeah. Um, first, first, that's the first title they've won for like 40, 50 years or something. Yeah, and he was quite a big part of it. Hasn't scored that many, but has scored goals at crucial points. Scored about eight and a few assists yeah. as well. Yeah, they've done all right. But no, so we definitely need to be blooding the youngsters in pre-season and see what comes of it. But as you say, Chris is right. It, it will all depend on which ones we can sell and how much money we can get for the ones we don't want before we can see what, yeah. you know, how we can invest. Like Chambers. Yeah, well, Chambers is a good example of someone who would be good value because he's British, he's homegrown, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's had a great season in a poor side. He would, he would still get 20, 25 million, I would have thought. Hmm. Yeah, I mean... Tempting to take the money. I've always rated Chambers, and after a good season there, <laughs> do you know what? Giles has actually asked asked us a question. Um, he's not in today, but um, he's asked us a question, which is, um, do you think the midf- it's the midfield which requires major surgery? Currently, they can't effectively shield the defence, and they don't support the front men nearly enough. It's a massive golf in quality in terms of rotational options. Liverpool and, Chel- and City both rotate without dipping quality. Chambers, if you're thinking about, if we're going to lose someone like El Nenny, whose contribution has been poor, if you think about how Ganduzi has dropped towards the latter part of this season... And if you think that we've got Torreira as kind of like a ball-winning midfielder, what's wrong with having someone like Callum Chambers as a uh, as another midfield option and say, right, well, you've got Chambers, you've got Torreira. Now, now then, let's look at some of the more creative forward line. No, players. no, absolutely, I t- totally, totally, totally agree with that. But it's a case of big sell-on value. I would rather sell Shaka for twenty-five, thirty million, keep Chambers. I agree. And if we're dealing with a perhaps slightly diminished or disappointing transfer budget, then that money is going to become even more important. This is Love Sport. You're listening to the Arsenal Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio with me, Johnny Burrow and Dave Seeger and Chris Howard of Gunnerstown. And I'm delighted to say that we're also joined on the line by James Rowe, who is a gooner of 30 years and, of course, also a writer for World Football Index. Good evening, James. Thanks ever so much for joining us. A phrase that's been used a lot in the studio this evening is loss of energy that we're losing energy, losing our will perhaps to support Arsenal. Are you feeling <laughs> Ooh, well done, that's a bit. No one said we're going to stop well supporting well Arsenal. I didn't say stop, but losing a bit of will. Are you sliding, James? Uh, first and foremost, good evening, everybody. Thanks for having me on. Hi, James. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's been a strange couple of games and a strange couple of weeks. I think uh, lots of people have seemed to uh, 
have forgotten that we went on a 22-match unbeaten run between August and December, and that appears to be completely forgotten about. Um, I can understand the frustration regarding the home game against Crystal Palace in our away form as well, but we're also in a, a European semi-final taking a lead to Spain, and we have an opportunity to win our first European trophy for 25 years and hopefully participate, participate in our first European final for 13 years. So all is not lost, but I can understand where the frustration is coming from, yes. James, um, it's Chris here. Just a quick question then. So would you class um, this season as successful up until this point? Um, do you think it hinges a lot on what happens on Thursday and then if we get through that, potentially what happens in Baku? Um, yeah, I do. I do, because, you know, I, I, I firmly believe that if Arsenal can win a European trophy for the first time in 25 years, it would give the club a tremendous boost. You know, you have a whole new generation of Arsenal fans that have never seen Arsenal win a European trophy. They would experience what that like, what that is like. I myself, I was very young when Arsenal won the Cup, Winners' Cup in 1994, but it's still one of the most fondest memories I have. But I think it's, 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 we've got a tremendous opportunity, but obviously with Valencia winning 6-2 away to Huesca last night, Who? they're really, really in, they're really, really in the mood. It's going to be a very, very difficult to, to get over the line, but fingers crossed we can do it. So we were talking earlier on Twitter, James, it's Dave here, uh, and this was the, I don't, we were just talking about it before you came on, that which which players we'd keep for next season and, and really who, who are going to be the core um, and with the transfer budget, you know, which sort of players we want to bring in, but also would we be looking to blend them with some of our, the young talent coming through the under-23s and that's sort of what we were talking about earlier. And I think you're of a mind mm-hmm. that the blend of the core of the what's good, some key signings and youth is the way forward for Arsenal. Yeah, I'm convinced about that. I really am. Um, I'm also fortunate enough, to, fortunate enough to interview professional players and managers. And I recently interviewed uh, Sebastian Larsson, who's now playing his football back in his native Sweden. And we spoke about his time at Arsenal. And I, and when I spoke to him about that, he said, and I quote, I couldn't have wished for a better football, footballing education in terms of being prepared for a professional, as a professional footballer, for life as a professional footballer. And I firmly believe with Unai Emery, we have a chance to reinvigorate our youth policy. We've got young players who are chomping at the bit to prove themselves, to, that will be eager. Obviously, I'm based in Amsterdam in the Netherlands and I attend Arsenal matches from Amsterdam. And obviously, the local team of Ajax are in the Champions League semi-final using the ethos of young players, giving them full belief. But I think what would help Arsenal as well is we've got to identify players better. In terms, it's a big old world out there, and we've just got to identify the positions we need, the personnel we need, and just think before we submit bids. I mean, you look at Mustafi, for example. He didn't really cut the mustard at Everton, went away to Sampdoria and Valencia, and before you know it, a bid of 35 million euros was sanctioned. And we weren't even you know, competing with the, anyone for that. No, exactly. And we've just got to think. I know, I know common sense is a, it can be a little bit, to, you know, common sense would be something that most pe- most people would expect of uh, professional football teams, but just be aware of the of the positions that we need and the players that might be available, and also potential length of contracts and wages as well, because we now have players who it would be difficult to offload due to the wages they're on, and we just need to be a lot more sharper. And and if there are players that we really want. In, go the extra mile to get that deal over the line.
To be yeah. fair, to be fair They're to all... the new, to be fair, James, to the new regime, because uh, the players you're talking about, like Ozil, that wasn't this regime that did that. Um, mm. the, the, there's a lot of players in the early part of Emery's tenure who have been put on long-term contracts, and we, we you know, we are mm. getting better. Obviously, we've got the, the you know, the the, uh, the blemishes on that with with Ramsey, but we have got a lot of player on, you know, players who have extended extensions, and even if it means mm. we can sell them for better money, like Shaka and Awobi, then that's good business, mm. isn't it? Yeah, well, you've also got to have uh, players that are also wanted by other clubs. You know, that's that's an, an important factor as well. I think in a tactical sense as well. I think you mentioned about the old regime. I think I'm convinced that Unai Emery has asked certain players to do certain things in a tactical sense, being flexibility, being flexible and with different systems. And I think because some of them have been in a comfort zone for such a long time, yeah. I don't think they really fully understood what he was asking of them. And, uh, you know, when you look at his first season at, uh, at Valencia, when they didn't have a lot of money and Ronald Koeman had just left, he managed to get them to a, a decent a decent finish and then build on that, build on that the following season. And he, he must be given time. I, I, you know, we had a manager who uh, was in charge for 22 years and his success has only been here for one season so far. And there are signs of life, but I just hope that we can be very proactive in the summer, you know, and just, it's not, some, it's not necessarily uh, the quantity of the player, it's the quality of the player, and more importantly, the position of the player, mm. you know, in terms of what we need to strengthen. Um, for example, a winger and a left back is very high on the agenda. There's, there's plenty of them around, but just please be aware of what the, what, what is available for the price and the, and also the, the previous that a player has. I'll give you an example. I, I'm a big fan of Thovan from Marseille. Uh, people will say he's a flop because of his time at Newcastle. He openly admitted that he was extremely unhappy off the pitch at Newcastle. And since returning to Marseille, has played a key role in their European, uh, European getting to the Europa League final last season, has continued a good vein of form for Marseille with assists and goals. And um, his age is, I think he's 26 years old now. He was also in the French World Cup squad last last summer. So to give you an example, people are always quick to write off players that maybe were underused in their previous Premier League uh, experiences and Premier League campaigns. But um, we need to just be aware of what we're doing and, and just think before we act, really. Yeah. Um, James, I've seen something, um, I think it was um, Get French Football News or something, that's linked us with David Neres from Ajax. Um, yeah. Who is he um, and what sort of player is he? Well, he's a, a, a winger with electric pace who, given his due, has managed to get himself in the Brazilian national team setup whilst playing regularly here in the Netherlands for Ajax. It wasn't so long ago that he was linked with a move away from Ajax to China and then things fell by the wayside and he managed to stay here in Amsterdam. But he's a tricky winger who has an awful lot of pace and also an eye for goal. And he's very much a confidence player. You know, you saw in the um, in the Champions League run that they're currently on with his uh, with his uh, goal with his goals and assists and, and and giving a different outlet. He could add something. He could definitely add something to Arsenal. But yeah. I think Ajax will be very. Um, they're always preparing for any eventual uh, departures. 
in terms of buying well domestically. Well, a lot will depend on whether we're shop. A lot will depend on where we're shopping based on which European competition well, he, we're in next season. He's not going to come cheap. He no. cost Ajax over ten million quid. They only signed him a couple of years ago. He yeah. scored Champions yeah. League goal against Real yeah. Madrid. He's going to be in various yeah. people's shopping basket. James, so nice to speak to you. Thanks ever so much for coming on the show. James Rowe, there, who's been a gooner for thirty years and is a writer for World Football Index. Talking of world football, we have got football in action for you tonight, particularly in the Premier League. Manchester City versus Leicester is about to kick off in just over five minutes. It's massive in the title race. And we've got some team news for you now with Peter Smith. Phil Foden for Leroy Sane is the only City team change from the side who ground out a 1-0 win at Burnley eight days ago. Foden scored the winner against Spurs in the previous Premier League home game here. Sane is named on the bench. For Leicester, it's not surprising that Brendan Rodgers sticks with the same 11 players who beat Arsenal 3-0 in their previous fixture at the Etihad Stadium. It's Manchester City against Leicester. Gents, this is a huge game at the top of the table. Of course, Man City two points behind Liverpool in the race for the Premier League title, but with this game tonight in hand... That said, Brendan Rodgers' Leicester look a very, very different outfit to the one that began the season. They look lively. Jamie Vardy's in sensational form. And it'd be quite a good little subplot if Brendan Rodgers won a title for Liverpool at Leicester. Do you think they can get something? Um, possibly. Do you know what? Even on the last game of the season, I think they played Chelsea at home. If we'd have done our job against Crystal Palace and at uh, home and uh, against Brighton at the weekend, then we could be looking at Leicester and saying, do you know what? It'd be good if they're putting together some sort of form because at least they'll take it to the final day. But here we are sat here. That Crystal Palace game, I feel like is going to haunt me when we get to the end of the season and talk about how's the season gone. But I feel like that Crystal Palace game is going to haunt me more than anything else because that was the moment in which you say, just go out and win this one, lads. And it, we just yeah. need to win our two home games and, and it, then and pick it, up something. Well, I said, away we, from we were doing the Watford show, I said 12 points, didn't I? And yeah. we got three of them there. And I, I said we needed nine, you know, nine more. So Palace own, we needed to win two of our four away. That's what I thought. Yeah. And we won against Watford and I thought, okay, two at home, Brighton, Brighton and uh, Palace and then one more away out of three. Yeah. But pathetic. We, yeah, I mean, it's um, it was the team select. It was well, you saw on Twitter. I mean, the reaction was instant as soon as everyone saw that it was El Nani and Guendouzi. The last time that started was against Everton, and we were abject that day. And with yeah. that, it's going to apply to the opponents' players, isn't it? Because if you're a Palace player, you look at that team sheet, you go, "Oh, thanks very much. Let's yeah. have a go." No, absolutely. Every team thing. What what we've seen from the end of this season is that. Every team is going to be looking at Arsenal and saying, actually, this isn't the same Arsenal team. You know, there's no nothing really to fear from them. They've got some very good strikers, but they've got nothing to complement it behind them. You know, there isn't any pace um, in, in, out wide or any pace that we do have. It, you know, any driving comes from Kolasinac, so that can be negated. So, yeah. It's tough, and it could be tough tonight for Man City. They're about to kick off against Leicester City. They have to win to regain that place at the top of the table, and we'll have updates for you throughout the show. This is Love Sport. Hello, you're listening to the Arsenal Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio with me, Johnny Burrow and Dave Seeger and Chris Howard of Gunnerstown. And psychology is a cliche and a buzzword in a footballing context, but it's also absolutely crucial. At the moment, Arsenal seem to be struggling with it. The players aren't getting up for it, aren't getting motivated in the way we want to see 
before a game, but whose responsibility is it to get them fired up? Does Unai have to say, you know what, I am the leader of this football club, I am the leader of this team, and I am going to amp you up before the game, every game? Or should the players be there? Should they not need a kick? They should look at a game and go, this is a must win for Champions League qualification. Let's get out there and do the business. Yeah, good evening. <laughs> good, good evening. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> play, play well today. <laughs> we want to play well in ourselves, to play football well. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I'm, I'm buzzing. I'm, I'm being, feeling very motivated. I'm being, I'm, I'm being a little bit uh, facetious, but if we're honest, if he can't really you communicate... You can be on radio, mate. If he, can, <laughs> if he can't really communicate, like I, all, I, all we see is the press conferences, and he says a lot of nothing, doesn't he? He does, so, but his English isn't that bad. This is an excuse we hear about foreign managers a lot, but where you think, when Pochettino came into Spurs, he didn't speak to the press in English no, for a was, good year. No, he did at Spurs. It was Southampton he didn't for oh, the first two yeah. years at Southampton. He pretended he couldn't he... speak. But this is the thing. Emery's English is good enough to convey broadly what he's meaning specifically to the players. But beyond that, if what we're talking about is motivation, if what we're talking about is passion, if you're a really good speaker and you're really getting people up for something, that would come across in Spanish. You know it, it, it's really interesting. I um, Years ago, I was very fortunate. It was a surprise. I was at a company conference and they bought a wheeled in a guest speaker at the end of the first day to do, give a motivational talk. And it was Kevin Keegan. And it was supposed to be 40 minutes. He was still talking after about an hour and 15 and everyone was sitting on the edge of their seat listening to every single word. I will love and, it and, if you keep yeah, talking. And, and he was talking about all the, he was talking about all these motivational books he'd read and all these sales guys, but I'd not read a book between them. But he was just brilliant. And, and then I thought, he can't motivate the England football team. He was England manager at the time. And I thought, how can those players play so badly when this is the guy that's talking to them in the dressing room? Dressing room. It's very surprising. I personally think the, thing, the problem with Emery is, not the problem, I think players don't need to be motivated before the game to cross the white line. I think they're already motivated. I think the problem lies in uh, Arsenal in the mentality when things go wrong in the game. So it's not motivation, it's about making sure they re Adapting. retain that mentality and that positive attitude when things when the chips are down and whether that's screaming at people from the touchline like Klopp would do or whether it's getting the message across in some other way I think there lies the problem at Arsenal with the players because something happens when things aren't going Arsenal's players way and I don't think it's necessarily before the game it's normally during a game no I I remember, um, I can't remember who it was, whether it was Ray Parler or something like that, talked about um, Arsene Wenger uh, in one of the early, uh, in, in his early time at the club. And they were losing a game and they all came into the dressing room at half time. And there, it was all like the Tony Adams sort of era. So it must have been the earlier years in, in, in the club. And they're all going ballistic at each other. And Arsene Wenger just sort of stood or sat in the corner and let them go ballistic because you've got 15 minutes before your next go in. And about three minutes before, um, they were due to go back out. Everyone sort of quiet down to, to hear from the manager. And he just very quietly just said, right, this is what you need to do. And he just pointed it out. He was very calm. He was very assured. And Ray Parler said, that gave us just so confidence. It was like, this guy knows that if we just do these few things, we're going to win this football game and we're losing. We've been playing terrible. So that gave him that confidence. So it's about being able to understand and being able to read your players uh, and what they need at what time. And I think, I, I wonder if if that's a question mark over Emery. We'll probably never know that because, you know, we're not in the dressing room 
seeing. We're not flies on the wall. But is it a question mark over the players as well? Because we see as soon as Arsenal go a goal down, the performances do drop. And whether we see the heads physically drop, people do seem to step down a level. I take your point absolutely that a manager has to be reacting, has to be gearing his players up. But as a professional footballer, we've got World Cup winners in this squad, right? There are people who have played in big, big games. Surely you know better than conceding a goal and deciding that it's all over. Yeah, 100%. But again, I just think the mentality of some of the players, which is why I probably have less favouritism towards them, is that it's just that they are mentally fragile. And so from my perspective, I'm quite happy to mix it up a little bit to get some of those fiery people in. I, mean, I don't want to be the passion the Brigade, but I don't think... I can think he can have an impact, but I think you have to change some of well, the Well, this players. is why everyone's saying give him, give him the first big transfer window because he needs to buy players that he's identified who have the right mentality. And obviously he's, he's inherited players who fundamentally don't have the right mentality. Mm. Do you think it's a coincidence that Wenger seemed to sign so many people who aren't up for a scrap? We did at first. Well, he changed. He just went from that you know, everyone's a six foot two athlete with pace to uh, and, and dominating teams, you know, winning games in the blooming tunnel because they're so huge and so overpowering. <laughs> and then suddenly, you know, when Vieira left and Fabregas, suddenly he went to, I want to play like Barcelona, and it's all short, tricky little, you know. It's bizarre, isn't it? The way he changed. Yeah, he literally changed. In one season, really, he, he just you know players went, and he replaced them with small, yeah, you know. And now we don't have, we don't have that physical. It's not physical side that we have. In fact, we're not physical. We're not really athletic. We don't really. We've not got players that really drive. I mean, if you think about the players that actually drive at teams, who have we got? Iwobi, but he's Gwendoza. They're the his, two players but, who drive with the ball and and, and, and it won't be yeah. just terrible in the final third he's got no end product so that's it that's our options we need players that are gonna and maybe Reese Nelson is one of these players maybe I don't know he's tiny as well yeah well <laughs> yeah but it's not about I don't think it's about it's about the ability to to have that kind of Santi had it in spades exactly yeah that drive that real athleticism you know the Oxlade Chamberlain type players who can who can travel with the ball who can beat people who can who can um you can shift the pattern in a game if you pick up the ball from deep and you can drive through three or four players and take them out of the game yeah. all of a sudden you can hit hit teams on the counter well, yeah, and we have players like yeah. Aubameyang and Lacazette that could really profit from yeah. somebody like that and actually yeah. Ramsey's a little bit like yeah. that and Wilshere when he well, wasn't injured was like that was like that and but we just was, don't as have as with Santi we we've yeah but we've we, it's like against Brighton 71% possession, as you said, Johnny. You know, how many of those passes were forward or forward with any degree of purpose? There was a lot of sideways passing, which was it typified the later Wenger era. It was very similar to that. You know, lots and lots of passes, but no incisive passes. And that's why we relied on Mesut Ozil. And that he, even he's making easy passes now because his confidence is shot. So Chris is exactly right. And I said, I wrote an article about two years ago about we need a running 10, not a passing 10. And I, I, I firmly believe that because that season when Santi played 10, First season before Ozil came in, something like twelve goals and eleven assists in the league, phenomenal. And but he he, he could pass like Meza, maybe not quite at that level, but not far off. But if there wasn't a pass on, he could beat a man. And that's why an Isco, he also scrapped. That, yeah, and that's like right. latterly he did as well. Not when he first came, but he learned that. But yeah, you need someone as Chris says. I think we need that person who can take the game by the scruff of the neck but in more than one way. He can even make the incisive pass, but also he can think there's no pass on. I'm going to beat a man and open up. 
you know, open up a space by beating a man rather than just passing it. Do either of you guys, so I'll admit I know very little about Unai Emery's PSG team, Valencia teams, Sevilla teams. Do we know, do you guys know the style know of play? I certainly know more about the Sevilla team. So the, the style of play, the types of players, did he have those athletic players that could drive through? I mean, how how, how did he set the teams up? Well, they were the Sevilla teams that won were always based on, you know, a, a two a full back four with, with very attacking wing, uh, were fullbacks but with two sitting you know Nzonzi Benega type sitting players yeah. and then a, th- a three with a you know it was a 4-2-3-1 um, but based on a very very solid pairing yeah I just don't think you know Shaka and Torreira he's got pairing. half of it hasn't he with Torreira he has yeah, got yeah. half of a solid spine but, yeah, but as Chris says he needs he needs that you know if Gwendouzi is the right st- height and stride like Diaby was like obviously Vieira was like Yaya Toure was but then but then you look at I mean we're looking at the screen now look at Man City you know with the exception of Fernandinho they're all midgets mm. you know it, I know De Bruyne is not a midget but they're not they're not a, an overpoweringly sort of athletic strong you know physical specimens of a team are they um, so it isn't necessarily about that but it is that ability to, as, I said, as Chris said and I, I agree beat a man rather than just pass through a team that's yeah. what we need we need variety if you offered me Aguero at Arsenal I'd certainly have him the score currently is Man City nil Leicester City nil we'll be bringing you updates throughout that game throughout the show and coming up I'm delighted to say we're going to have a glorious stand-up comedian on the line we're going to be joined by Chris Martin he's not on Coldplay but he is very this is Love Sport very funny this is Love Sport. You're listening to the Arsenal Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. You're with me, Johnny Burrow, and Dave Seeger, and Chris Howard of Gunnerstown. I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line by Chris Martin, who's a stand-up comedian and podcaster, and crucially, not in Coldplay, but he is a big Arsenal fan. Chris, thank you for joining us. Good evening. On the show so far, we've been talking a lot about motivation. We've been talking a lot about psychology and whether Unai Emery is failing to get the players up for it or whether the players need to self-motivate. Where do you stand on this? Um, I just feel that everyone seems to be having to get the players, and I get that, but I feel like nowadays with modern footballers, if they're not motivated, it's because the guy above them isn't isn't getting through to them. And I, I don't even know if it's him not psyching them up. I feel that his systems are so confusing and the players don't quite know what they're doing. So they find it hard to even know what they're trying to do. I mean, like beating Brighton at home is is so easy. And they looked lost. <laughs> evidently <there>. not. <laughs> yeah, well, evidently not. But I just feel like if, if we look, when we were all looking at, I feel some of you pretend it's not your team. Like when we looked at Man U under Mourinho and everyone was going, oh, the players... And I know now again under Solskjaer, but I don't even think Solskjaer is the right manager for them as well. We were all like laughing, going, Mourinho's rubbish. He's not He's not the manager for them. And uh, I know people like Pogba and blah, 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 keeps getting his like psychology examined. But I still think like if you have the right guy, the players will get up for it. These players are good enough to beat. We beat Chelsea. We beat. They're good enough to beat teams. So um, the fact they're not up for it, yeah, maybe some of them aren't quite... Uh, the level requisite level, but they're still at the requisite level to beat Brighton at home. And if they're not up for it, I just, I just, yeah. Do you think it's Dave? Are... Chris, it's Dave here, mate. How are you doing? It's, um, hey, mate. I do think we were just touching on this before you came on because we knew that obviously I saw you on Twitter talking about it earlier, but I think yeah. it, it, there's perhaps two different things here. One is the motivation before the game, 
But the other thing yeah. is what happens in a game when the chips are down. Because with Arsenal, it seems to be back to that fragile mentality during mm-hmm. a game when things are going wrong or not going as right as they should be like yesterday, rather than the motivation before the game. It's that ability yeah, of a coach mean, like, on a touchline to change things when things aren't going well and and transmit that somehow to the players. I mean, maybe like not having Ramsey shows he's the sort of guy that can take it by the scruff of the neck and isn't afraid to still make bold choices on the field. Whereas without him, you know, obviously losing his quality is one thing. But yeah, you, you look at our team and I guess it does lack those characters that want to grab the game by the scruff of the neck and like take the initiative. And that's what you've got to do, I guess, in a game when it's it's tighter than it should be. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so I think you're right. I mean, often with these things, you can it's silly to be like it's completely one thing. Thing. there's a lot of factors but I feel like some of the players mentally aren't aren't quite up to it but secondly I just feel like you know the man the if your coach is coaching for a year and I get it like you've got to give these people some of these guys time but a year you think he's got to know what makes them tick or I even saw someone online put he's talked at the beginning about getting young players in and I've he's sort of hard you know Maitland-Niles because no other option really um Gwen Doozy at the start of the season, yeah, and then he's dropped off, but still, he's, he's, but then he's not really. I, I don't know what, how good the young players are, but you think if the players are mentally failing, it's the manager or coach's job to to drop them out and put someone in that's hungry and is gonna is gonna I don't know make some bold choices. And the fact that he's not done that and he's reverted to kind of the same players who keep failing again, I think is a failing of his. Does Chris, that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing that is most obviously the manager's job is, of course, the tactics. I'm interested by your take on this perceived tinkering of Emery. Where Do you feel that he's overdoing it? Because earlier in the season where he was switching system and it was working, we were praising him for pragmatism, for cleverness. But do you think he needs to just be careful that he's not actually confusing his own players? Well, yeah, there's a, there's a level of that, I guess. With a, uh, but I think now, like, if you look at Pochettino or Guardiola, who obviously I think we can all objectively say are good coaches, it's like they change the systems a lot. Um, but there's still a philosophy, I feel, with how they play that transmits that it doesn't really matter if you're playing three. You know, it seems that everyone gets obsessed with five at the back or four at the back. Mm. But I feel like if, and maybe, you know, he's only had the players for less time, I guess, and some of them are not used to having to mix it up so much because under Wenger it was always kind of the same thing. But... Um, I still feel if you're playing for for Emery, you understand what to do against Chelsea, who, you know, his tactic was like, get on Jorginho, we're going to stop him. He can stop teams that have a clear plan. But I think when you're playing for him, whether it's five at the back or four at the back, I feel like the players don't know what to do apart from give it to an overlapping fullback. That seems like the only thing (laughs) that is is prevalent in in all his, his team tactics. It just doesn't seem like there's a a way of whether it's quick passing triangles or, or anything like that. It doesn't seem like there's a philosophy that, that pushes the players forward. So they, in a game, the situations are going to change and your formation is supposed to be fluid, I guess, based on what the opposition do. But I still feel like the players don't quite understand what they're supposed to do when they've got the ball and whether they're supposed to go past a man and and, and uh, do a quick one-two. It just feels like there's not an impetus behind what they're doing. Yeah, it does It does feel like that at times, doesn't it? Chris, um, I've got a... I've got three um, three questions for you now. Um, Please. So you are, Woo! yep, here we go. So you are Unai Emery, or you are, are Arsenal manager for a day. Um, you get right. what you, you can pick one player that you can fire into the sun right now. Um, <laughs> you can have 
you've got to have you've got to pick one player that you want to give a motivational speech team talk to the rest of the Arsenal team. It's got right. different players. So it's player, not marry avoid, but yeah, this firing is, people yes. into fire the into the sun. sun give a motivational <laughs> speech, and a third player that you get to do a control alt delete style system reboot, so that they completely lose all of their sort of. Uh, I don't know, psychological damage that's already happened right. this season. So they're keeping their footballing ability. I hope you're making yes. notes, Chris. You're keeping doing the football a, ability. A men in black yes. style white. System reboot. Yes. Fire into the sun. So, Control log delete. Reboot. Easy. Go on then. Let's do fire into the sun is, um, is Mustafi, but that's so <laughs> obvious. So that's a slam dunk. That's an easy one. Um, motivational talk, I guess, uh, Socrates, because he actually has a bit of I mean, is this everyone, everyone who's fit at the moment? I mean, Aaron anybody. Ramsey, I guess, yeah, could be leaving anyway. But Socrates, I feel, actually has a bit of that about him. Yeah. Um, and then reboot their minds, but keep their football ability. Yes, is the weirdest question of all go, time. Good prob- question. Probably Ozil. Probably Ozil, right? Because he has all the ability, but he doesn't um, often apply it as I would like him to. So that's a good chat. I don't know. What I do when I reboot his mind, but um, yeah, you know, when he wants to, he's he's one of the best. But Go, going back, good good answers, Chris Dave. Again, going back to your previous point about Guardiola and Pochettino, which I think is a fair yeah. point. Uh, if I look at Man City and they're on the screens in the studio here playing now, they were pretty average in uh, Guardiola's first season. I mean, we knocked them out the semi final of the FA Cup. They didn't win. They didn't win the league, and he he was able just to go out and completely buy three fifty million pound fullbacks because he had inherited fullbacks that weren't good enough. This is not uh, likely to be something Emery's <laughs> going to be able to do this summer. He's not going to be able to say, right, I'm going to go out and buy those players. So are you in the same mindset that we perhaps are, is that he's going to have to make a big some bold decisions, get rid of some players that maybe have been in the club a while, buy three or four core players, and then start bringing in some of the some of the youth that we've got. So we've got keep the good ones, buy a few core experienced ones, and then blend the youth. Is that something you'd like to see next season? Well, I... I, it's a really difficult one because the problems at Arsenal are even when I'm even though I'm not a Unai fan from this season. Um, it's above him, right? So you'll go and buy four players, but then who? I mean, I'm just I'm a bit uh, a loss with the club at the moment. Who's who's deciding that? We haven't even got. Um, so is it going to be Raúl? Like, is it yeah. him? We trusted him to do that. A guy who got in Suarez. I mean, like his whole what's it, his whole contacts book is his way of signing people I just feel like I feel like when we had Sven even and whatever you thought about Gazidas and stuff I felt like that we had something that looked like it might make sense but now I'm like we haven't we Monchi rejected us I just I don't know I just don't know if he'll even if he says get rid of these players I want these I don't know whether he's gonna get the players he wants or um, if he did in an ideal world great but then again my issue is I don't know if I trust him enough to let him be a big part of choosing formal players for us because some of the names that get banded around are very uninspiring. And here's what I mean is like, I know what you said about Guardiola's first season. He, he looked average at times, but you still saw what Guardiola was trying to do and some of the players couldn't do it and then they got binned off. Whereas if, I just can't even say what Emery is trying to do with our team. So you go, he needs these players. But what would you, what are four Emery-like type players? It's like a, ones that are super disciplined and just listen to him and a defensive point of view. But well, just... if we weren't depressed enough already, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. 
Sorry, that was a really fumbled answer, but I'm, I, there's too many weird caveats. You're not on inspired, there, but, but um, you're not inspired I, by Ryan Fraser from Bournemouth, then, obviously. <laughs> weirdly, that he's one that he's one that I don't actually. I know it's snobby to think like, oh, we don't need Ryan, but like I look at Liverpool and they bought loads of people from the Premier League, yeah, and Andy Robinson. necessarily, and have done. We never buy anyone from the Premier League, so I don't have an issue with us trying someone like Ryan Fraser because you never know he might come up to a level above and with supposedly better players well, around him. Well, he's created but... more chances than any other player in the Premier League and he's got more assists than any other player in the Premier League. For yeah, exactly. So I, I don't have a problem with someone like that coming. I know it's not... We're so used to like these unearthed French gems, which are still kind of... We're, we're used to it, but we're forgetting. We haven't really had many of them for a while. But um, yeah, I mean, if you looked, if you tell me last summer's transfer business, if you said Sven, I'd be excited because I actually think everyone but Lichsteiner has proved yeah. a relatively you know, Successful. handy signing or yep. useful to a degree. 100% agree. But um, but we don't have him now. So now I'm like, well, we have. I guess we have to give this summer, right, to see what happens Definitely. with the new. We have to give it. But then my issue is. I, I, I don't know. I can't see. We're, we're definitely Unai won't get binned off because even if we fail to win the, the Europa, even though I would suggest that would that was his remit. Right. And he didn't achieve it. So I would suggest we just cut our losses. But what will happen is he'll probably stay on. We'll probably spend a little bit on some people probably fail to get rid of Mustafi again and he'll probably be gone in like I don't know after a few months of the new season is my prediction but I, I don't know I I, uh, I just don't have any faith in him or the people above him I don't have any faith in anyone at Arsenal at the moment thank is god that really negative thank god you've moved to Los Angeles then yeah I know I know I know well I'm here where Stan's spending 1.8 billion on the Rams <laughs> true yeah and he's spending zero on us so you know well go and um, Go and sort him out then. <laughs> yeah, go and sort him out. <laughs> Chris, you'll have to have a word. Thank you for having a word with us. It was wonderful. Brilliant. Thanks, worry. Chris. Speak to you soon, mate. Chris Martin now is a stand-up comedian and podcaster. He's, of course, still an Arsenal fan, still with the club. But one man who is definitely on his way out is Aaron Ramsey. We saw his farewell at the Emirates at the weekend, and it got very emotional. This is Love Sport. City nil, Leicester nil. There appears to be a nervous edge that hasn't been apparent in any of the other 18 Premier League games played here this season. City started with pace, but Leicester are organised and have imposed themselves. Pereira worked a shooting opportunity in the box, only for Campani to throw himself in the way. Tillemans attempted from range, but Edison was well placed. City's only attempt on goal came when Fodum chested down in the box, but from 12 yards, shot straight at Schmeichel. It's City nil, Leicester nil. Peter Smith there with your update from Manchester City versus Leicester. Still nil-nil there. And we'll be bringing you updates from the game throughout the show. It is, of course, the Arsenal fan show here on Love Sport Radio with me, Johnny Burrow and Dave Seeger and Chris Howard of Gunnerstown. And Aaron Ramsey has been at Arsenal for a very, very long time. He's been a glorious servant of the club, scored two winners in two separate FA Cup finals. He is, of course, on his way off to Turin to join Juventus, finally leaving the Gunners. He arrived a boy, he left a man. That was what he said after the game against Brighton, addressing the fans in his last ever appearance at the Emirates. Did you watch it? Are you sad to see him go? Uh, I did not watch it because I switched TV off and got on with the rest of my life the second that the full-time whistle went. I've seen, you know, what I've seen some of the footage. Uh, my 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 view on it is he's given us some great memories, but I think it goes back to what I said right at the start of the show. I don't really have favourites. So my opinion was, you know, thank you for the memories that you've given us. 
I don't really care when people talk about is this person, is that person a legend? I don't really care. What I want to see is, are Arsenal winning football matches? Are they winning trophies? Do I have lovely memories that I can make with my good friend Dave? We've been to Wembley together a couple of times and it's been brilliant when we've been along. Thank you, Aaron Ramsey, for that. But, you know, emotional tearjerkers. It's like, you know, footballers come and go all the time. So, you know, it it was great for the club. We've missed him this season, I think. Mm. Certainly towards the latter part of this season, that's been demonstrated. But... You know, I'm not going to sit around and, and watch him be given a silver platter or, an, or cannon or whatever it was and have a little cry and stuff and think, oh, isn't it a shame? Let's just lament the, the loss of another good footballer. Perhaps I should because um, we seem to be replacing uh, good footballers with either nobody or, um, or uh, substandard ones. I'd cried when Danny Welbeck got... No, no. <laughs> uh, no, I, no, it was... You know, We've talked about it so many times. We can't dwell on it. it. You know, it is what it is. We've known it was coming for ages. So the actual presentation was a shame. It's it's just more gutting that he got injured when he did. But therein lies the problem. You know, mm. he's missed 122 weeks of football since he came back from his broken leg. In the last nine seasons, he's missed on average seven or eight weeks of every single season. And those who watch Aaron Ramsey week in week out will know that he takes two to three games to get back to his full fitness. Yeah. Aaron Ramsey fully fit is one of the best players in the Premier League. We've seen that on average probably a half of each season for the last nine years. You know, so you you know, he's been brilliant since he's come back. You can't base a footballing decision on sentimentality. For whatever reason it's happened, we move on. What I'm more interested, as Chris says, in who comes in to replace him. Bear in mind he actually hasn't been a first team player most of this season. He came in towards the end played very, very well, showed more discipline than he had in the previous 10 seasons in the sort of two months he played at the end of this season. Again, therein lies the other problem. So, you know, we can get sentimental sentimental about it, but there is no point. What kind of player would you go for to replace Ramsey? He's playing he's playing now. I'd go for Tielemans. Tielemans. Yeah. I thought you might even mean Madison really for a player. moment. Well, Madison, I'm watching this game out of the corner of my eye. Madison has been sensational, but he's not going to leave Leicester after one season. I'm sure they've got him on a long contract. And at the end of the day, they've got more money than us. So, you know. Uh. Well, it seems like pretty much everybody <laughs> in the Premier League is going to have more money than us if we've only got £40 million to spend. I oh, bet, of course I'm... we've got more than £40 million, £40 million and a pound. <laughs> yeah. That worked last time, of course. I, I genuinely, if, if, if that, is, as, if that is, is what our, our budget is for this season, I would imagine that 14 out of, or probably 13, 12, 13, maybe 14 teams in the league, in the Premier League, are going to have that sort of money to spend. And it really does depress you when you think about it like that. Yeah, I think this is an amortisation sort of thing. Isn't it? I mean, 40 million doesn't mean you're only buying 40 million pounds with players. I mean, the payments are normally spread over two or three years. Yeah. And I do think... We, we've we've discussed it at length today. We are binning a lot of players, <laughs> and some of them will be valuable to other teams who play different styles. You play in different leagues. You know, we we've got. I mean, I think Shaka and, and Mustafi alone is fifty million pounds. <laughs> Chris is having none of it. I I actually agree with that. Well, Shaka, we bought Shaka, Shaka for twenty five million. Shaka forty five and Mustafi five. Well, mean? we bought Shaka for twenty five, twenty seven, and he's had yeah. three reasonable seasons. He's played very well for Switzerland in the World Cup, so he's definitely gone up in we value. We could get thirty five for Shaka, I reckon. Uh, getting twenty plus for yeah, Mustafi, well, thirty five and fifteen, yeah, 15, fifteen for Mustafi. You get fifteen to West Ham for Arsenal. It is of course a case of looking forward rather than looking back. We can't sell everyone at West Ham. <laughs> well, we can try. And coming up, we'll be looking forward to Valencia. This is Love Sport.
inside the Etihad Stadium remains decidedly quiet and tense. But Pep Guardiola looking on from the corner of his technical area with great deliberation as to how his players can find a way in behind Leicester's well-organised ranks. City's shooting has been wayward with attempts from Walker and Foden being wild to say the least. Leicester have been patient in their build-up play as well, but lacking penetration as yet. It stays sitting in less than ill. That was your score update from the Etihad with Peter Smith. The roar you heard there, I suspect, was Raheem Sterling getting clattered in the box. He's had a shout for a penalty turned down. Looked like the right decision. A little bit of the ball getting got, but quite a lot of the man will be bringing you updates from that game throughout the show. It's the Arsenal Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. You're with me, Johnny Burrow, and Dave Seeger, and Chris Howard of Gunners Town. And gents... We dwelled on Brighton and all of the horror that goes with it. Let's talk positively. Let's talk about the one competition that Unai Emery knows better than all others, the Europa League and Valencia. Because firstly, that first leg performance was impressive. Um, it was. Yeah, it was. It wasn't for the first 15 minutes, though, was it? Let's be honest, because we had, you know, Valencia had a shot which was about a yard from the goal line, which they bla- somehow blazed over. You know, the, the goal that we conceded was a bit of a joke, really. They were getting the ball in behind, out wide, and then putting it in and, you know, as a headed ball back. And then I think Xhaka was pretty poor not to be able to reach with... He uh, didn't need Dier to carry Carby on the past the word was. poor. That sentence yeah. was fine on its own. But but we, I think what football matches um, often swing very quickly. Um, when you get situations like that and you go behind and if, and if we can, if a team responds quickly, then it can obviously change the narrative of the game. And I think... The goal that we scored on 18 minutes, so seven minutes later, it it sucked a bit more, breathed a bit more life into the 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 atmosphere of the stadium. Are you saying that goals change games? Chris? I am. <laughs> Cliche alert. Cliche <laughs> alert. Um, but no, it did, didn't it? And, and and it was and it changed the complexion. And then the second goal that we got before half time, and suddenly we're thinking, actually, we can go on and do this now. Um, and it did feel to me like. Valencia were they sort of came out with at us at first and then they they sort of hung back a little bit and it was almost like well we've got our away goal happy days lads they thought they could hold out for the 2-1 that third goal was yeah, a, was, was was brilliant for Arsenal I think we will score away they're going to have to score four and I just can't see them I didn't see anything in the Valencia team that told me I know a lot of teams can score against Arsenal but all said and done not many teams score four against us to be fair you know when we got our full strength side out yeah Valencia did, of course, score six at the weekend against, against some Huesca. team no one's ever heard of. Huesca are bottom of La Liga, so not yeah. perhaps of Arsenal quality, or or maybe they are if, right. if the weekend well, is well. what we're going by. Well, I think, I think the if, if Valencia score, and this was the worry with the Napoli game as well, by the way, from over, if Valencia score first, it completely changes the complexion of the of the match. Let's just say Valencia score again in the eleventh minute. They can actually then just make sure that okay, we'll stay resolute. We'll keep this and we'll you know, at another. one, and we'll, we can nick another. And particularly, what, what does what does Emery then do if you're one behind and it's you've got you've got 20 minutes to go, 25 minutes to go? You can't just say, "All right, well, we're still going through, lads," because literally one goal and you're done. And if that happens in the 85th, 86th, 87th minute, you're not giving yourself enough time. So I think he will approach it very similarly to the uh, Napoli game, which was, and it's similar to what um, Valencia did to us. Let's go out there and score early. 
let's try it and go for a score. You've gone for a bit of a team lineup. Yeah, no, I'm thinking you're right. I was, well, I was writing that, and then I, what I'm writing is agreeing with what you're saying. I think he, he will go checking goal, which we know, but I think he'll have the back three with Maitland Niles and Collar as wing backs. I think he'll have Shaka and Torreira with Ozil behind Lacquer and over. Go for it, get the early goal, and then maybe we'll see a change with you know someone one of the strikers or Ozil coming off if we get that goal. And but Dave, I think he will go for it early. You're yeah. convinced that if Arsenal get that goal, it's effectively game over? I don't think they can score four against that defence. You know, Cos <laughs> Anyone can score um, plenty Cos of goals against that defence. Not many people have scored when we've played those three. We haven't yeah. lost more than one or two goals with those three. If Monreal is playing, you know, left of the centre-back with Cos having been rested for a week, good decision, you know, in, the, in now, in light of this game, not perhaps... <laughs> with a different outcome but now the fact that Cos has been rested a week I think it's a good thing because when he's been fit and he is still I know you're saying he, sh he should be out in the summer but mm. he's still our second best defender Absolutely. alongside Socrates and Monreal's probably our third but Monreal has lost the pace to play wing back or full back I think we've seen that now um, I think Collar and Ainsley Maitland-Niles we missed Maitland-Niles you know, and because he's become a very, very good deputy, uh, deputy for Hector Bellerin, definitely. Um, and we've missed him. Yeah, I mean, we actually we were, missed him when he was suspended. Lichtsteiner at the weekend. I don't think he, he did, did okay, anything. He didn't do anything wrong, but he's just—he's got no pace. He hasn't got a great delivery. He can't get in behind. Enough, he's not no. dynamic, and we and we we really suffered as a result. Ben. Yes, 100%. <laughs> yeah. But more broadly, sounding like good news for Arsenal in that second leg against Valencia, as long as they keep things tight early. It wasn't all good news at the end of the first leg, if rumours are to be believed. There are allegations that a group of Valencia fans seem to be making Nazi salutes and monkey gestures at sections of the Arsenal support after full time. Now, these are just allegations. I'm sure the fans involved deny them. But I've seen the footage and I personally have, have, have a strong view of it. What's your response to this? Well, I think you kick people, whoever that is. I mean, there's video evidence, so kick them out of being able to go to football matches. I think Spanish football has for decades had this problem. and Institutionalised even at the, is, in the management level, wasn't it? It, it, is, you know? it is something that probably needs to be dealt with from a, a football governing body perspective, you know, Maybe FIFA, maybe whoever it is that control UEFA, somebody needs to be going to the Spanish football authorities and saying, this is this has got enough now. You, this is happening regularly on your patch. You sort it out. It was about 10 or 15 years ago, wasn't it? Was it Aragonés? Was it when he spoke, said something to Reyes about Henri, didn't he? He said something to, when Reyes was in the Spanish squad about Henri, basically along the lines of, you know, black, whatever. And that was... Something like yeah, that. It was, yeah, it's been, that was at the national team manager. Staggering. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, pff, I didn't see it. You know, I was in the ground. I I, I saw it afterwards. Now uh, you sent me the link. You know, it, I just hate the fact that we're having. Well, well, let's face it. This is not the first time we've talked about racism on this show or on this station. We're having to talk about it far too much this season. Um, it's something else that needs to be in the bin. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's just talk about Arsenal's statement responding to it quickly. So the club came out and the first line or two, I'm thinking, you're on the money, lads. They say we utterly condemn such behaviour. And then later on, they say they're going to investigate whether there were any possible provocations. And you think, well, OK, there may have been provocations, but what kind of provocation justifies alleged racial gesturing at people? I don't care no. what they said. I don't care what they did. There is no provocation. And the Valencia president, Anil Murphy, came out to his credit after the game and tweeted something about the people who are 
it's being alleged we're doing this. And to his credit, I can't read it out on radio. <laughs> but one of the things he said was these aren't Valencia fans. And I think that's a problem because we, we're hearing this from every club who's accused of racism. We've heard it from Spurs. We've heard it from Chelsea, heard it from City, heard it from Millwall. These aren't fans of our club. Well, they quite clearly are Valencia fans. That's that, sound, that, sounds like, that, that sounds like the Anthony Knockouts, not that sort of player defence. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but you understand what they're saying. They're trying to say, listen, we as a club, 99% of fans of Valencia don't identify, don't support this kind of behaviour, obviously. But if you say, listen, they're not our fans, you're also just absolving yourself. You're yeah. refusing to take responsibility. As an owner of a football club, I'm not saying this is your fault, but you do then have a responsibility yeah. to address it and hopefully we won't see it anything of that sort in the second leg yeah there's there's a difference between saying these aren't our fans and these aren't football fans because you're then saying you know these are just hooligans and we're going to find them and if they are members of our club we're going to kick them out um, and we're going to notify all relevant authorities to make sure that they don't go somewhere else and then there's the these aren't our fans which is almost a bit like well, you know, like you say, the a- a- absolution of it, which, yeah, it's a, it's wrong. It's not our problem. No, they bought tickets from you. They're sitting in your end and it is your mess to clean up. We will move on to lighter things, to potentially more positive things, but it's not going to be straightforward because we're going to be looking ahead to the Burnley game. And I'm delighted to say we'll be joined on the line by Andy Cook, former Burnley. This is Love Sport. Lee Striker. That's right, it's that time of the show when we turn our attentions to the next game for Arsenal. Coming up, it is, of course, Burnley in the Premier League. And I'm delighted to say that we're joined on the line by Andy Cook, former Burnley striker. Good evening, Andy. Thanks ever so much for joining us. Arsenal are in quite a lurch at the moment. And from a Burnley perspective, are you looking at them and thinking, hang on a minute, we could get something here? Um, I think so I think we'd be in the end of the season. I think uh, yeah, I think Burnley will want to go out on a high. Um, and uh, Arsenal's form as late hasn't been particularly great. I don't think they've uh, you know the form. I think Burnley's form in the last five is probably a lot better than Arsenal's at the moment. Everyone so. in the league's form is a lot better than Arsenal's yeah. in the last five. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but I think obviously I think Burnley will be looking at it quite uh, you know look, you know, looking into the game and researching the game and and seeing they can most definitely get something out of that game at Turf Moor. Hi Andy, it's Chris here. Um, as a former player yourself, obviously you get towards the end of the season and people talk about being on the beach. Um, I don't think anyone yeah. would uh, suggest that uh, Sean Dyche would take that kind of approach. But realistically, will some of those players be thinking, you know what, we're safe, um, not really a lot to play for? Because it certainly looked like that from an Arsenal perspective. But just give us a player's perspective from that last I game think, of the season. Yeah, I, I talked about this. I did uh, a similar thing at Stoke on um, on the, the the other day, on Sunday, with the Sheffield United game. And it talked about a similar thing with the Stoke players, to be honest, about, you know, will these players be, you know, are they already on the beach or, you know, and how Martins be last game of the season? With uh, with nothing to play for, but you know I can speak for myself. You, you've you've got a job to do. The season over until it's over. So whether you're safe or not, you still go out and uh, you know perform to your to your best ability, capability, and you know and and give it everything you've got. And I think you know no one really wants to go out and just you know lose a game or not try or or anything. And I'm sure you know the way Burnley play, etc. You know that and the manager would definitely not accept that under any circumstances. And I don't think players really, you know, in this day and age or, or any age really can 
can can go out and just you know just not really try just because it's the last game of the season. Yeah, I've been it's Dave here. But I've I've been very impressed with um, McNeil. He seems to be yeah. the player that's come in and sort of changed the dynamic for Burnley because obviously he had a very poor start to the season yeah. and you look at most of the teams the same but he seems to be the one player that's come in and, and, and changed things I, th- I I would imagine Burnley fans might be quite concerned that you know that, that, a, that a, a so-called bigger side might be looking at him because he really does look very direct very old school tricky sort of winger with pace and a great yeah. delivery uh, yeah, I, you know, and Maitland-Niles you know, think... isn't the strongest right back in the world. Yeah, well, I just you know the way they play, and you know he still stays with the you know again it's it's the the uh, the four four two which really isn't as a fashion as it used to be anymore, and it's you know it's frowned upon, but uh, you know with certain teams, but you know that's that's how they play, and they they seem to do it well. I think he changed it didn't he at the weekend where with the two wide men. Um, just maybe looking for something a little bit different, um, but it, the way they set up, they they have to get balls wide. Strikers, you know, I've talked about Barnes before and Wood. You know, they're very underestimated players, and when you get you know McNeil or you know the the wide men in positions to to get the balls in the box, that's what they thrive on. You know, pulling off shoulders, knockdown. So is that stuff. So, so it's it's a big part of their game. So so do you think you said he changed it um at the weekend and he he's obviously a tactically astute guy Daesh but um is he going to change it much against Arsenal do you think he will just say well that's it we can get in behind out wide they're not the strongest Arsenal um get our run get, get the runners into the channels is it going to be similar sort of stuff I'd have thought so I don't think he's going to change you know they are what they are you know I think if you, if you research how they how they play what they do, you know, that they are, they do exactly what they say in the team. You know what, what, what Sean's teams are going to be like, that they're, they're set up, they're hard to beat, especially at home. Um, and they said they, 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 they rely on getting the ball in and out wide because they say when you've got two big, dangerous forwards that cause problems, you know, that's what they, they, they thrive on getting balls into the box. And, you know, they said, I know what it's like as a, as a, as a player. And I, you know, I was fortunate to play with some, some great wide when I was there, and you thrive on just just quality, you know, that can get balls into the box, full of energy up and down, and uh, you know, obviously that's a big part of how Burnley play. And Wood certainly, you know, recent run of form, great in the air, and will yeah. be rel- relishing playing against Arsenal defenders who can't seem to jump off the ground. So, he, you know. <laughs> and also, I think, I mean, I've done, I'd love to. I wouldn't say I want him in my team, but I have to say I secretly admire Barnes's niggle, the way he niggles, he stands on the yeah. goalkeeper. He's just a very, very clever old school centre forward. He is. <laughs> it makes yeah. things very difficult for defenders. I think so, and you know, I've heard a few stories. You know about how unestimated really a player like Barnes is. You don't really get off the ball, you know, and when he does get the ball, he's a handful. You know, so it's not all that you know while the game's going on. It's all the other stuff. You know, there's never an easy header for the centre half, and there's there's always going to be a problem from from him somewhere. And you know, when when you've got centre forwards that are constantly making the centre-half think about where they are, what they're doing, and you obviously you've got that little bit of aggression as well. And, and you know, it makes it really difficult for centre-halves. Um, and, you know, I, to be honest, I play, you know, my, my game myself, you know, that's that's how I um, went about my game, is just to be a nuisance for the, for the whole Surely not, here, Andy. <laughs> I, I don't believe it. You a nuisance? Never. Uh, the yeah. big question, of course, is how you see the game going. I need to press you for a score prediction, please. Um... 
think it's going to be quite. It won't. It'll be a tight game, but I think it could be. I could be a, a home win, a one nil. I really, you know, it's it's not going to be. And I can't imagine it being a big open game, but uh, I think a low low scoring game. But I just fancy Burnley one nil on the day. Andy, the Arsenal fans aren't looking happy. But well, that's just a funny thing. One, <laughs> one, one of the agenda items that we haven't haven't really discussed actually is Aubameyang still going for the Golden Boot. Mm. He's only he's yeah. only he's only two behind the leading scorer. Yeah. He's on twenty goals, so he'll be looking he'll be looking to make a nuisance of himself. I would have thought. So well, a yeah, one nil. I, mean, I think one nil is unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as I said, you know, they're not going there just to, to roll over. They haven't had a great season. We all, you know, Arsenal fans will understand that. And, you know, they'll be looking to uh, to finish on the right, without fail. But, is it, you know, you, you forget that start. You know, if he's got a chance, then he's a live wire. And, he, you know, he, he'll want to go out in a high. And if he can get them two goals, I'm sure he'll, uh, he'll relish the chance to uh, to finish top scorer. Absolutely, but it is a tough place to go. Andy, thanks ever so much. Lovely to speak to you. Andy Cook there, former Burnley striker. Interesting him talking about Barnes and Wood there because we've talked a lot about psychology on this show and I think as well as being very proficient, old-fashioned strikers, they're just men who are up for a scrap, Mm -hmm. to be honest, of the kind that Arsenal are lacking. I'm not advocating Chris Wood up front for a moment, but he is certainly a scrapper. Do you think we could see an unconventional Arsenal team? Do you think, since so. there is very little riding on it, is it a time to experiment? I hope so. I literally could not care less about this game. Well, I think also, <laughs> uh, no, a lot... There will, no, there's, a, there's a build-up well, for no, you. I, I think a lot's going to depend on what happens on Thursday. Obviously, if we play a full-strength side on Thursday, which we will, and we go through to the final, then a lot of those players who are definitely going to play in Baku will, will, will be rested for that last game, you would expect. So I yeah. think, I hope we see... I think we see Eddie, we see Joe Willock, and we see um, Saka. Saka. Those three need to play some part for me. Do you think Emery will do that? I do, actually. No, I do. Maybe. Maybe not from the start, but I think in the squad. I'm I'm a really weird sort of football karma fan, and we've had a couple of seasons where we've got away with it. Jammy, jammy results at Burnley. Burnley. Dodgies, penalties, handballs. I feel like that that balance needs to be readdressed. So if if the footballing gods want to readdress it for that game, and like we can see three ridiculous penalties that are never penalties, so that some sort of karma is restored so we can go back to beating them next season when maybe it might be important I'll be okay with that (laughs) play the kids are are you of the opinion Chris because I saw you mouthing various things while we were talking to Andy not of course unpleasant about Andy but when he said that Arsenal wouldn't be going to Burnley to roll over you mouthed simply yes they are do you genuinely believe that yeah I think that if you want to talk about a team that can play on if you want to talk about a football team that could actually be on the beach if it comes to the, the league form, I mean, we've been rubbish away from home. We've been rubbish at home in the last two games. So now that now that we've got a game which doesn't actually mean anything, we are going to be the epitome of a team that just wants to get the hell out of Dodge. I thought it was really funny a few weeks ago. I was listening to, I can't remember what show it was. I think it was obviously, it was drive time because it was Richard Lee and Patrick Christie. And Richard Lee was obviously renowned for being injured most of his career. Quite often in the gym when he Say did. Say that to him. No, no, he said it himself. <laughs> no, no, he was obviously in the gym a lot. Yeah. Trying to recuperate. And towards the end of the season, he would be in the gym. And suddenly, lots of other players who were never in the gym were in the gym in the last three or four weeks of the season. And it literally just to get your muscle tone for the beach. Well, you wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't you? <laughs> he was just saying that the players who were never injured, never in the gym, would suddenly be in the gym and be looking, what are you doing here? <laughs> ah, beach. <laughs> if, if your job allows you to go to the gym and it's free and it's yeah. rather than corner practice, you would, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. Running up hills. It just made me laugh. It just made me laugh the way Richard told the story much better than that, obviously, but it was just funny at the time. <laughs>
Do you yeah. think we'll be seeing Arsenal players doing that? Do you think they are focusing perhaps on their physiques for Marbella more than they are Burnley away? Um, well, I don't. They're playing for a place in the flipping potentially. We don't know until we see what happens on Thursday. If we yeah. win on Thursday, whoever plays, he's playing for the chance to play in a European Cup final. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think he'll just rotate massively regardless of what happens, to be honest with you. Um, Abamingo might play, like you said, but he's got. I think he's probably got to score a, a hat trick or two because I think he's a couple of goals away from Salah, isn't he? So, you know, and we don't score away from home. We've been terrible away from home for quite some time, not scoring goals, not creating that many chances either. Mm. Is so, there an argument for just playing the strongest squad from a form point of view so that you get that win and then if you are in the Europa League final, you're going into it with the boys feeling positive, playing positively? All de- it all depends what happens on Thursday. If we win on Thursday, we won't see the full strength side, no. I doubt that very much. Mm. There is a couple of weeks before the actual um, cup final, though, isn't there? Yeah, true. But yeah, I mean, I do. do, Well, I, I, I also hope we see some of the kids at the Mm. weekend. I think that would be nice. Well, it's that time of the show where I've got to ask you for your score predictions. What are you going for? I think we'll lose two nil. <laughs> hold Chris on, hold on, hold on. Rewind, Johnny. Rewind. Let's do our score predictions for Valencia okay. first. Oh, yeah, okay. Quickly. Uh, lose two one. Oh, Chris. We'll okay. go through on. All right. And, and, and I, I think I think I think two two in Valencia. And we'll go through. And I think we'll beat Burnley three one. Wonderful. And you're saying we'll lose two nil to <laughs> Burnley. Well, you know what? If Arsenal get into Europa League final, Who cares? it's not gonna matter. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. 